I would like to welcome each and every person uh, here today for this one day uh, we, that we have here together. And in this, the opening talk with you, I would like to speak about the thread and the theme of the day. And the uh, first thing, if my memory is anywhere near correct, seems to be a bit more bare in here at the front. Seem to remember last time various pictures of various illustrious gurus around, etc. They've all, all gone. It's a real delight to be back. Um, <laughs> and in the talk uh, with you today, there's a theme of, of course, and the theme exploring uh, the what I referred to, if I remember rightly, the uh, triple gem of the West and looking at some aspects and uh, features uh, of that. I've, I may say I've been coming here regularly, annually, uh, initially at the invitation of uh, James, James uh, uh, Barras, in the early 1980s, and it's been uh, an annual trip here to the West Coast. And of course, in more recent uh, years, uh, here at Spirit Rock, and also to this quite breathtakingly beautiful facility which you have here and uh, just up the pathway uh, there. And I'm sure and I hope that all of you uh, make good use of these resources here for the day-longs and the various other initiatives as well as the week-long uh, uh, retreats and, and longer. <coughs> but getting back to the theme uh, uh, for, uh, for the day, in um, giving care and attendance to the uh, uh, theme of the day, sometimes we take a look at our life and then we might say to ourselves and ask ourselves in life, what really matters uh, to us? And in a short one-line uh, statement, the reply, if hand is placed on heart, would be that which we think about the most. That's what we have the most value for, that what we think about the most, that which we, that we talk about the most, and inevitably that which we go on about the most. And what has happened in our culture and uh, society, that it's taken a very uh, uh, simple, simplistic kind of view of things, and it's manifested in the, ar the arising of the self, the arising of I, the arising of me, the arising of my, and tremendous encouragement outwardly and inwardly to fix the sense of I, the sense of me, and the sense of my on three major so-called, they're minor, but anyway, major areas. One is called work, one is uh, called uh, relation, uh, relationship, and one is called uh, ownership or possessions or what, whatever. These the three uh, areas of our life easily preoccupy our life. So much so is there the acceleration of emphasis in all of this that at times it's extraordinarily difficult to imagine in life there's anything actually outside of these kind of areas of, of, of living. Hence, as I uh, mentioned, uh, uh, here uh, uh, initially, that we focus our attention uh, so much that the relationships, the work and, and the home become our consolidated uh, world view and that's it with um, uh, a one-day workshop as a light relief. <laughs> <laughs> and somewhere all of this needs a, a, a lot of fairly serious examination of. And if you notice today, no better proof of it today, will be that when there are some silent periods in the sitting and silent periods in the walk, uh, walking, uh, and you take a look at what the mind wanders to, if it doesn't wander to work, if it doesn't wander to relationships, and if it doesn't wander to your home life, it will border on nothing else but a miracle. <laughs> And we take this way of living in the world so strongly, so much for granted within ourselves and uh, uh, with each other, 
that it's the way, the way that the self has got itself stuck. Even in the language of choices, which is the, 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 the most sacred word of the last 10 or 20 years, choice. The fact that choices are frequently, again, limited to one of those three areas. Fat choice, it is. So it's not an easy thing to take a look at in our life and to say, first, maybe, in my relationship to any of those three, perhaps there are ways that I really need to attend to. In Dharma teachings, Dharma means teachings for enlightenment, teachings for uh, uh, liberation. It, the aspect of those three, if there are problems in any one of those three, in Dharma teachings, it means there is a lack of wisdom. If the mind keeps going to one of those three, uh, in, intensely, incessantly, etc., it shows a lack of understanding. If the mind is worrying, obsessing, fretting in any of those three, it shows a lack of clarity, but also, and rather tragically as well, it shows a very severe limitation of the consciousness that it's so fixed on, on any of those. So teachings and practices is not a denial of those, but putting them into a certain kind of perspective which contributes to dissolving the obsessing around any one of those three. Therefore, they fit into a larger picture. They are much more on the periphery of things than what we matter, than what we think. The opening up of our inner life puts them in their place. Putting them in their place is called living a liberated and free life. Obsessing over one of those three, trapped in one of those three, worrying on, over any of those three, is one is stuck. And Dharma teachings are pointing to and helping and initiating and facilitating getting utterly unstuck from them. Sometimes um, one's triple gem in the West um, uh, varies in, 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 in other, other expressions and forms as well. And uh, when I arrived here, my mind, just as I was walking down the path here, I d just remembered, uh, going back if I may, a little, a, a little bit here, that my um, very first visit to um, uh, the United States was in... Um, April of 1977, actually here to California. And I, and I think you could probably get a sense of the, of the contrast I had spent uh, until that time, that is from 67 until 77, uh, 10 years in the East, most of those years as a Buddhist monk in, uh, in rural Thailand, rural uh, India. And from uh, uh, there, I left, went up to Korea to a monastery up there. I disrobed at that time to see some uh, friends, Stephen Batchelor, a Dharma friend, and others who were monks up there, and then flew to California. So after about 10 years in the East, I actually I, I flew into L.A. <laughs> now, if you... So, you know, having got quite used to um, um, traveling in the East by rickshaw, <laughs> and then and and flying and then flying into uh, 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 L.A. I thought, my God, what if I, you know, perhaps the pilot got lost and I'm on another planet. And uh, what sticks in my mind uh, there was um, those extraordinarily um, vivid people wearing Hawaiian shirts and being the rather actually maybe not so um, conservative Englishman. <laughs> although some might dispute that, uh, and seeing the eccentricity of uh, 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 colour and, and dress and, 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 and everything else that, were, uh, that was there. And some people, if I may say, were, were if I may say, were just large, <laughs> larger than ever, ever, ever seen in India. Uh, there. And I thought, my gosh, if these two people, I remember two people, it's just enormous. I mean, if, if, if they sat at the back of the plane, the plane's going to take off like an Apollo rocket. <laughs> so, 
sometimes one moves from one situation and moves into uh, uh, another. And so sometimes some of us will remember that in our wild youth that, it ri that our triple gem wasn't um, work and uh, relationships and home life. The triple gem in the wild youth was uh, uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll. And for some it still is. And, and again, how the mind pulled towards, stimulated by, gets an association with, builds up a presence and contact with, and that, what does it become? It becomes our world. It becomes our world. And so we're asking ourselves and questioning ourselves, can I refer, can I look, can I relate to all of that in fresh ways which helps to bring some clarity to it? And if, for example, I just want to give some kind of contrast here between Dharma teachings and uh, 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 conventional view. Conventional view of, of things would be how important, and you have heard this message um, ad nauseum, morning, noon and night, how important it is to develop a career. This one gets hammered home to us left, right and centre. And with more, so I must say, if I may say, in the US than anywhere else I go to in the world, um, is this uh, three-worded mantra far more popular than anything the Maharishi dug up and, that, and the mantra is going back to school. This, uh, at every retreat, people are having thought after thought. I don't hear it in, in continental Europe, probably because the schools are so bad, but anyway, <laughs> the, uh, of, of going back to school. It's fine to think of going back to, to school but always the m is, what is the motive and the intention? What is the motive and the intention? And that takes a real honesty for those of you who may be thinking of going backwards in life to actually say, what is the motive and intention? And sometimes the motive and intention is career in that kind of selfish sense, it doesn't have to be of course, of which self, prestige, position and money take the priority. And therefore one is once again stuck in a way of viewing and with that uh, way of viewing born of what? And a lot of it is born out of, of the comparing mind. They, whoever the, uh, they are, have more than I, I have, seem to have achieved more than I have, accomplished more than I have, and seem to have um, a bigger place in Marin, or wherever you might be living than I have, or whatever. And, the, and, and therefore, uh, born out of the comparing mind, and out of the politics of envy, one says, oh, I need to go back to school, get a better degree, get better money, get a better job, etc., etc. And then some people, and, and here it's a peculiar phenomenon in the US, of people going into debt in order to be better off. I just can't reconcile this methodology. <laughs> and so you know, I just rang just a few minutes before walking in here a Dharma friend uh, from the U U.S. who uh, uh, living in Britain at the time, twenty thousand uh, dollars in debt through, through ed ed education. How the poor thing going to pay this off? So sometimes we have to look again at the motive and intention. If it's in accordance with principles, if it's in, in accordance with what the, the Buddha referred to as the noble way of living to bring nobility to consciousness, then the intention will be considered. And if the intention is clear for the welfare and service of others, the, the benefit may come to oneself, which is a side aspect, of course benefits will come to oneself, but one is quite clear what the motive actually is. And therefore one is making a shift in life, and it's one of the most important shifts a human being can make, from career in that sense of self-centered thinking model of career to one of right livelihood. And the moment that you and I actually reflect and consider what is right livelihood, I find when I just say the words, I can't help but immediately think of the consequences of what I do through work. The consequences on the environment, the consequences of animals, the consequences on people, 
the consequences of my relationship to others. And if I bring in right livelihood in that way, it immediately begins to diminish the potency of me and my career, me and what, and what I want, me and what's in it for me and my family. And some, and there may be some of you in the, in the hall here, may need to do some pretty serious reflection on this, some pretty serious meditation on this, and say, am I just working to accumulate for me, or is, in my way of being in this world, a clear awareness and motivation that others matter as much as myself? And I'm unambiguously clear about it. And that's a challenge for anyone to, really, to bring in that priority of, uh, of uh, right livelihood. And sometimes, mercifully, sometimes right livelihood versus career in the unsatisfactory aspect, I just spoke about it, sometimes it means a considerable drop in income. Fantastic! Dharma teachings are not for the upwardly mobile, they're for the <laughs> downwardly mobile. <laughs> And sometimes in this world that we live in, we forget this incredibly quickly. Go here, we do a workshop. Oh yes, I watch my breath, have a nice quiet day, uh, Sunday, it's better than going to the church or the synagogue, and uh, etc. But no wish to really look into one of these features of one's life. No real motivation, real energy to change. No, and for those who have the great privilege of uh, uh, affluence, and there are some uh, uh, of you uh, uh, here, it, it will mean, and I've said it with humour, but I mean it, these teachings are not for the upwardly mobile. Though, in the history of things, as I pointed out in the, uh, uh, when Mary Ann contacted me and asked me to do the one day uh, here, of course, historically, there was a huge shift from the world of ownership, home, relationships, and uh, career uh, there to going, in a way, some of us, the monks won't agree, of course, but some, to the far extreme, which was uh, 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 shaving the head, putting on the orange curtains, and, uh, and um, going to the hut. But I think in our society, in our culture at the present time, we've got enough inner freedoms, and due to many uh, people, many of you and our past generations, that we don't have to go from one extreme, so to speak, to the other. There is a real practical middle, middle ground, but my goodness me, with that middle ground, we've got to walk our talk. We've got to say, ask ourselves, is right livelihood, can I really see that? And I'm sure for the great majority of you it is. Or is the intention to be upwardly mobile, which is basically the uh, downhill slope into self-delusion? So tough questions in the Dharma practices uh, 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 do get asked, and, 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 and it's important that, that we do, because otherwise we'll tend to take our comfort realms too much, too quickly for uh, granted, and Dharma teachings are not always that comfortable. Thank goodness. In looking too at our uh, relationships to areas, and as I mentioned, their relationships are, uh, uh, are another important and uh, and difficult area. And in looking into the area of relationships, it's uh, relationships with ourselves which is, of course, vitally Im important, but also the relationships with others equally. And they may be loved ones, they may be people you work with, colleagues, dharma, friends, employers, employees, teachers and students, whole gamut of various relationships. And sometimes, and some of you will know this, in your relationships where you're uh, engaged and committed to them, naturally enough, the thought arises, one, wish, one wishes the relationships could be better. Now, now not, probably not the first person to have had this thought, and out of the <laughs> s s six, whatever it is, billion of us wandering around on, the, on this uh, uh, earth, and one forgets how much the mind, again, gets 
preoccupied with certain relationships. In, even in a family situation, there are some that one loves and feels close to and welcoming and, and supportive and connected with. And in the same blood, there are those that one wouldn't see be seen dead with. And I was just speaking to somebody uh, yesterday, and the man, uh, uh, one of the family members, and the man is dying, and his dying wish is, and he's told his children, his dying wish is that his wife does not attend his funeral. That's his main wish. And therefore, one can truly say it's one of those real, exam real examples that not over my dead body will she attend the funeral. <laughs> you think, oh, they, they, they'd been together 45 years, got divorced. Years and years, 1972 they got divorced, I think, or 82 or whatever it was. And the mind is still holding, still hating, still negative and doing everything possible, even as the body is going in its last months of existence, to keep her out. What goes on in, in the inner life? Has anybody here got the same mindset? Easy to talk about somebody on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just wear shada. Uh, we're teaching the week long together. We just uh, arrived, came Mary, Mary Ann very, very kindly. 11 o'clock at night came and uh, picked us up from uh, 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 Larksville. So sometimes, as I say, there's situations uh, in life. And when there is this negativity in relationship, resentment, hostility, or whatever, the only way it can perpetuate itself is by the thought justifying. It can't persist without thought to keep reinforcing it. Anybody here has heard the words metta? Anybody means loving kindness, deep friendship, respect, sensitivity for the human condition as we move through birth, aging, pain and death. All of that again acts and, and hopefully provokes within us a deep questioning in our life and to really ask oneself, is there anybody in this world towards whom I have negativity? Anybody in this world that I hate? Anybody in this world that I feel resentment towards, that I hold a grudge against, that I feel bitterness every time I think of her or him or them, past or present, dead or alive, it doesn't matter. And sometimes the great power of the metta practices, and I know Sharon and uh, Shada uh, and other friends teaching here uh, regularly and, and, and elsewhere, has as one of its expressed purposes to transform the problematic areas of inner relationship and of, uh, uh, and of the suffering and the problems that go with it. Or put it uh, in another way, the power of the metta practice is to solve these, contributes to solving these problems of relationship. Or to put it another way, the metta is to put all of you psychotherapists out of work. <laughs> and save all your clients lots of money. So it's a very compassionate work, this metta. <laughs> so, so there are practices there of working to transform and change the inner life. But firstly, easy to refer to this in theoretical terms. But it's actually in the nitty-gritty of day-to-day -day life. And the teachings therefore keep asking ourselves, in my relationship to certain people, and there's conflict in it, where is the holding? One can't bypass, one can't um, escape the language, the Dharma language of where is the holding? What is the clinging? What is the fear? What is the resentment towards? 
And what happens in human contact and human relationship, we actually believe in our foolishness in a way, that when we see somebody and we, who we've got a real issue with, past or present, dead or alive, we actually believe that what we see is really who the person is. We're convinced of it. We're absolutely convinced that our perception, our investment, our identification and all the views that we have towards that person is a true mirror of who the person is. And as old Menindraji, uh, well, Joseph, Joseph Goldstein, Goldstein's uh, teacher, uh, 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 said, sometimes one can just say a uh, one, one-liner in one's life and one doesn't have to have said anything else, but, but the Buddhist tradition is terribly wordy, which is, that's why we teach. And <laughs> so Menindra's one-liner, it's a great one-liner, the thought of your mother is not your mother. Now, now suppose we just remembered that. We just went, I mean, I'm sure everybody has just beautiful relationships with your mother, but, uh, you know, so it's a metaphor. But supposing we just had that perception, we just remembered that, wouldn't it just generate a little bit of space around our poor mother? The thought of our mother is not our mother. The thought of our lover is not our lover. The thought of our teacher is not our teacher. The thought of our employer is not our employer. The thought of ourself is not ourself. But we don't believe it anymore. We've got ourselves into this awful condition where uh, in the negativity, in the being judgmental, in the reactivity, we're thoroughly persuaded and convinced with a conviction of what we think about ourselves and what we think about others. And the Dharma teachings just say one simple thing to us, Please, please doubt this. That's all. Please doubt it. Doubt the judgmental mind. Don't say, oh, I've got to let go of it. God, let, let, letting go, believe me, it's like strawberries. It's got an incredibly short shelf life. <laughs> but people use letting go in places like, like this. Wherever I go, I say, how are you going to work with this? Oh, I know, I need to let go of it. Oh, please. <laughs> so, sometimes, it's, it's letting go is an outcome of the understanding. You know, if I, you probably don't have to have fires in this country, it's so damned hot. But, if, you know, if you pick up a hot coal, you don't say, well, God, my fingers are burning. Now, shall I let it go? No, no, no. As soon as you pick it, you let it go, you know it's hot. But we don't. So we fry. Mind burns in its negativity, burns in its resentment. And the thought can be arising, I should really let this go. I mean, it's no use gone um, um, blaming all, all the time. But the mind takes no notice. So that's therefore I say, sometimes, in looking in the relationships in life to what or who or whatever, that we're holding, holding on to, if we're not letting go, it's because something isn't understood. And maybe a stepping stone to understanding. Understanding means that which transforms. The problem stands under us. Maybe a contribution, as I said, towards understanding is that every time the conviction comes in the mind of problem in relationship that's going on with oneself, one has some severe doubt about one's view of it. One might just make, maybe just crack a little bit the certainty of one's self-righteousness. Otherwise we burn, we blame, we're agitated, we see the other person as a problem. Sometimes other people are a problem. And, I mean, there are, there's more than one of us in this world who's a problem. 
And so therefore, those of you who are in groups, who are in committees, who are on boards of directors, who are campaigning, who are socializing, who are meeting with family members at a funeral or whatever uh, it, it might, or, or at a wedding or whatever it might be, there's bound to be at least one or two out there where the thought arises you know, my life would be so great if they weren't in my life. <laughs> There's bound to be someone who's a, a real pain in the neck and, and one feels, you know, if, if they weren't bothering me, I'd be enlightened. I'm sure I'd be... <laughs> I'd be so clear and so liber liberated, but this person keeps coming to work every day and, and just destroying my, my clarity <laughs> or whatever. So sometimes... We imagine that the absence of the other is the resolution. And therefore there can be pressure in committees, you know, those of us who regard committees as one primary form of self-denial in life, or whatever it might be. And in the dynamic of any situations like, like, like that, it isn't easy to stay steady, it isn't easy to stay clear, and it, and it isn't e easy to attend and acknowledge that people's views and their beliefs may be starkly different from one's own. And even in such a situation, the two people or more still, and let us not forget this, in relationships have more in common than what separates them. Sometimes what we have in common is that we're both clinging as strongly to our view and opinion. As starkly different as they may be. And therefore sometimes we say to ourselves, if I let go of my clinging, then she or he ought to let go of his. <laughs> no, 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 life doesn't work so sweetly, obviously. Or if I let go of my clinging to it, oh, then I'll fudge, then I'll compromise and then I'll end up just submitting to the other person's point of view. No, also not, not the case either. We can be clear, steady, free from clinging, in communication, in language, in contact with uh, another uh, person, keeping our integrity with it, and understand the dynamic of the situation. Therefore, Inner peace stays, stays stabilized. Clarity stays stabilized and situations are workable. Sometimes people are doing fabulous work, really embodying right livelihood in every meaning of, of, of it, then have trouble in a relationship in that, those areas and then rather sadly uh, get out of it because they can't get on with two or three other people or whatever. It would be a pity. Sometimes I, I've heard this, I've heard this overseas, you just on, on an area of relationship, that um, in coming here to, uh, I'm just here in California for nine days, if I may say, and uh, this evening, uh, uh, Sally, Sally Clough from the uh, center here, and the Shada, who's just uh, moving back to the West Coast, who's been with us in Britain for some years, and uh, myself start the week-long retreat, and then, um, what else, um, on um, tomorrow evening, um, 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 Monday evening, uh, Jack, Jack Cornfield, kindly invited me to uh, give the Monday evening uh, talk here, which I thought was rather courageous. And, and then someone said, to, and I've heard internationally this, that actually people are not coming from the for the Monday evening talk. They're coming for the break. That's what I, I, I've heard this in other countries. <laughs> you know, your, your reputation has gone far and wide and the reason for the break is metaphorically speaking looking for a tennis partner if you see what I mean <laughs> I didn't realize that Spirit Rock was so engaged in a partner forming uh, agency I had thought I was coming here to speak about non-duality but apparently it's no relevance I've got to speak about duality tomorrow anyway it's another story so, sometimes, in any situation, whatever we go to, 
second factor in the Noble Eightfold Path is called Right Intention. What is the intention? I'm, I'm sure I'm being, hum being humorous here, but sometimes a little mixture of intention. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> and, but just to be clear about the intention. So we just finished a uh, retreat um, at uh, IMS, the sister center, uh, for here. And that's a nice full uh, re retreat over there. I've been going there uh, twice a year, last, uh, whatever, 22 years, if I may say. And the uh, title of the retreat, I think it's probably a similar title to here, something like Born on July the 4th after 1985. No, no, 1955, something like that. So these things create a little uh, ripples for some people. Why, why, why is Christopher and Shada having retreats with this kind of uh, title? And um, a little bit um, was to, uh, inc the intention again, mattering and things in life, a little bit was to encourage um, some uh, more uh, younger people to come uh, and connect with the retreat. And the lovely and sweet thing about it was uh, over there, that we had teenagers on the retreats, who had been in the uh, young people's retreats. We had loads of people in their uh, 20s and uh, early, early mid-30s. And of course, keeping the space open uh, f uh, for those who are over uh, 44 years uh, of, of age. And just as discernments are made about, we have family retreats, and of course, we have women's retreats, and uh, young people's retreats, uh, etc., around the various centers around the world, and this is just uh, another uh, form uh, of it. And no doubt, once again, people are coming and think, ah, retreat for the under 44. Oh, well, um, maybe somebody there, I can find a spiritual partner there. It's a little bit difficult in the silence, I have to say, but nevertheless, <laughs> um, people, still, people still do. And why not? But more importantly in all, all of this as well is looking at the uh, intentions and sometimes with ourselves being clear what the intentions are. And if we're honest with ourselves, in many things in life, intentions are a little bit mixed. Main thing, of course, in things which are important in life, can we be respectful to the second link in that eightfold path that the primary intention one is clear about? The mindfulnesses of life, the awarenesses of life, the focusing of life, the, the, the uh, practices of insight meditation, especially extraordinarily effective teaching in helping you and I to keep our intentions clear. If we keep our intentions clear, much beautiful and wonderful and lovely will flower from us. When the intentions are mixed, this and that, I and I, me and me, unfortunately, the outcome of all of that is self-interest, ego, 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 what's in it for me? So, in the field of work and in the field of uh, relationships, as I as said, sometimes we need just to attend to where the glitches are in them. It's not enough in life just to be, come on a, one day or longer, mindfully breathe in and out, and think mindfully breathe in and out, and, and a few nice little thoughts about letting go is going to resolve the problems of life. But if the Buddha heard that, he'd start weeping. It, sometimes things need a real attendance to, and a real deep kind of questioning and asking ourselves, am I really willing to change? Am I really willing to take risks? Am I really w uh, willing to sh ensure right livelihood no, ma no matter what the financial cost, no matter what? And they challenge the Dharma community. They challenge all of us in various ways. Third area of life, uh, too, is uh, uh, the home and our relationship uh, uh, to that. And again, I just here, just talking with the Shada as we flew with United uh, Air, Air, Airlines uh, uh, across uh, uh, the United States. 
And just that's, if I may say, just a small point on, on, on that. In um, those of you who travel internationally, rather amuses me that America, so much influence in this world that um, only 10%, so we're told in Europe, of United States citizens um, have a passport. It's extraordinary, such a low number of uh, 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 people. And that includes your politicians, which is obviously extremely clear from the foreign policy. <laughs> <laughs> and recently in the European Union, the, just last month, in, last month in fact, that they've uh, abolished all duty-free. They said, oh, it's going to cost 140,000 jobs and there's a huge protest about it. But in fact, all the duty-free shops, they, they're just taking down the duty-free signs and they're still selling them at the same old price and nothing absolutely has changed. This is difficult. So when I was flying with United, if I may say, across from uh, London Heathrow to, uh, to Boston, the um, flight attendant, she had a rather strong um, New York accent. And I, so when I was listening, you know, going down with the, 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 the trolley armed with all these uh, duty-free goods, and I kept listening, I thought, I thought, God, United Airlines really has got a very, giving out a very enlightened teaching. Because as you're going down, I kept on hearing, do be free, do be free, <laughs> do be free, etc. So, uh, that's quite impressed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the only yeah, the small thing, just I don't want to go off on another subject, but I do, um, and, and I can never make out when one is flying in an aeroplane why there are no windows in the toilet. Have you ever thought about it? <laughs> what? There's no windows in the toilet of any... I've been on uh, virtually every airline this Earth has to offer. Not one of them has. I mean, who is going to be looking <laughs> through the window when one is flying at 35,000 feet? Extraordinary. I mean, I, I know every generation people are getting taller, but not that quick. <laughs> So these things are what one reflects upon on aeroplanes. <laughs> so sometimes there's coming in um, um, ma making uh, uh, the, the, the journey across. And Sharda was telling me, you know, the terrible uh, uh, cost of your rent, those who are uh, renting, the outcome, and how, again, it ties one into to, uh, the work world. And it and it's, must be very hard for some of you, and if you have student debts, uh, et cetera, et cetera, now Hart uh, uh, re reaches out to you. Uh, on, on all of this. And sometimes, again, it's not just what I have or what I don't have, and therefore the idea of having or not having. Sometimes there's certain genuine concerns, I agree. But what's more significant and more important in all this is the depths of the inner life and its relationship to it. So though there may be in here, very roughly speaking, three types of uh, people, those who are very privileged, very affluent, uh, uh, got more money than sense, and uh, those people here who just live from week to week, month to month, and, and struggle to keep the uh, things balanced, and plenty of you in the hall in that respect, and those people who are in debt and, uh, in debt and, 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 sh and uh, struggling and know it's going to take some years to pay off them, uh, some of these debts. I mean, there's some of the harsh realities that are in the uh, external circumstances. But the inner life matters a great deal as well, obviously. And the inner relationship to these things matter a great deal. And is one, in any of those three circumstances of life, actually inwardly poor? And inner poverty means dissatisfaction ongoing with what is and the feeling of never having enough. Living, having, having a nice enough home, never having enough uh, money, no matter what, never having enough in the way of relationship, never being satisfied with the goods that one has, always wanting something new, fashionable, etc., uh, 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 etc. Et and therefore, it's not obviously just outer circumstances, but actually, it's the inner one in relationship to all three kinds of people, and there can be a depth of inner poverty with us.
which is sometimes worse than some of the poverty that those of us who love India very much see on the streets. Sometimes there's even the community of the poor on the streets and, and there's more contentment in their life than there is those who are relatively affluent or whatever. So we need to look, is there a hole, H-O-L-E, kind of hole, inside of ourselves, which in fact is a bottomless pit and that no amount of having can ever possibly fill. And therefore there's not a hope for any deep contentment through having. Not a hope of any contentment in life through having. And if one says, it's true, I know you're right, it's true. Dharma teachings have stated this for two and a half thousand years, three thousand years, this is a true fact of life, of, of existence. If we know it's true, then we've got a, a lot of deep work to do to really make that clear. And therefore, one can say to oneself, there is no hole, H-O-L-E, there is no hole inside. This world cannot nourish that in a way through having and owning. Home, car, possessions, clothes, things, money, etc., etc. Therefore, the radical nature of the teachings keep reminding us uh, again and again, as I said, and just to cl in clo close here, vigilance with regard to work, livelihood, right livelihood, vigilance and in looking into uh, relationships, looking as well into uh, uh, wanting and ownership that goes with it. And as we are doing here today, and all credit to you for coming today, to stand back from all of this and say to ourselves, can I bring, as the meditation teachings remind us, a real awareness that these things fall into life? Yes. They have a relationship to life? Yes. They need our wisdom understanding? Yes. But I have such, whoever the eye is, such a clear pers perspective on it, I have a sense of something much greater. I'm not trapped in it. And one feels it and one knows it. One has a sense of something greater. And the tradition of contemplation, of meditation, of awareness, of receptivity to the now, of connection with all things, opens up the life and it liberates it. And therefore we participate in our work, we participate in our relationships, we participate uh, in the things that we need to, uh, to do in terms of home and uh, and items and goods, etc., etc., but there's a sense of something greater, much, much greater, and that's what counts, and that puts all other things into place. So that sense of something greater genuinely has a real liberating sense about it. If we keep that as the focus, that then everything else will flower naturally. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into things. May all beings live a free and fulfilled life. So let's just have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we, for a moment?
So um, this morning, um, with regard to the timetable for the morning, we'll have two or three minutes to uh, stretch the legs. Then I'll give a ring on the gong. Then we'll have uh, 25 minutes or so of uh, silent meditation uh, uh, together. I'll speak just a couple of minutes at the beginning, little instructions, little uh, inner questioning, which I'll refer to uh, as well. And then afterwards, that's followed by some uh, small groups and with a theme uh, in, in the group and of course each person in the small group who is speaking to ensure speaking right out of their experience, no theory please, and I'll mention it at that time. Um, Marianne, approximately how many people are here today? Marianne? Alright, so what would be a feasible amount of so Anybody went to school here? Um, um, if we have, say, um, about nine in a group, what would that? How many groups? Twelve, thirteen. Uh, all right, twelve or thirteen. All right, lovely. So um, we'll have two or three minutes to uh, um, uh, uh, stretch the legs, and uh, some of you, um, um, and I know you speak a foreign language here, but some of you may ne need to go to the restroom. I, what is it? <laughs> I, the idea of taking a rest in the toilet is... But anyway, so I'll ring the bell in two or three minutes and then we'll meet. Nice to see you. How are you? <laughs> How are you keeping? Very well. Good, you look very great. Nice to see you here. <laughs> hey, hi, nice. Hi. Are you allowing people to um, come to the, your Dharma talks? And and yep, Dharma talks and inquiry. And I must try to remember to mention it. <laughs> Zap. <laughs> Great to see you. <laughs> the number's got to be 15 or 16. 15 or 16, all right. Because it's 10 times 10. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, fit, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, good to know. <laughs> How is she? She's I've seen her for years. Not so well. She not so well. So she's away. Suffering from um, an infection from her legs. That oh, was quite serious. Oh, yeah. But she's, she's doing better. But oh, she good. particularly asked me to. Lovely, lovely. I hear from the, the activist Dharma friends, named regularly, of course, in different places and things. It's lovely always to pick up. And, and you're going well living? I'm now living at San Francisco Zen Center. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Reb's place. Yeah. Reb well, Anderson. He lives at Green Gulch. Okay, Green and, Gulch. But Blanche yeah. Hartman is the abbess. Oh, yeah. And um, he's been there six months. Mm. Some of the Theravada monks say, um, when they make an, an abbess, they 
nuns said they're going into the abyss. Such <laughs> 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 a lot of work. <laughs> well, she's great. She said, yeah. 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 Excellent. That's very nice. And I work for BPF now. So Do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah I'm going to talk with Donald you know, a little yeah. bit later on. And Diana Winston is here. And there are a number yeah, of so Diana. Yeah, so Diana. Fantastic. There's a good crowd around. Good. It's lovely to see Good you. To see you. And you've been well? Yes, fine, well, lovely. Still yeah, yeah. Traveling Still traveling. Got just got got back last month from uh, Israel, so oh, I've been oh, there in Israel. And, uh, yeah, it's going well. When you were in Israel, did you meet uh, with Israelis, Palestinians? We, this the, the, there's a bit of a change going on. Partly funding running out for them, but partly the thing was growing so successfully. Unfortunately, the Palestinian authorities began to take more interest putting pressure on the Palestinian organizers about this yeah. and that. So it's now in a rethink mode at the moment. And um, I'll, we'll hear a little bit more in about two weeks. So it's kind of thing, one of these transitional periods which ar arise every two or three years. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a great Dharma scene there. It's great Sangha, absolutely terrific. And, and the mailing list has gone from 20 to 1,500 on retreats in the last five years. Yeah, and the, the, yeah, yeah, the, the 100 on the retreat. Great. It's great. Terrific. I've been to Israel since I was about 30 years old. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. You should go. Yeah, I've got yeah, loads of contact addresses. Really? Really? You love it? I love it. Okay. Let's see. You want to give her a ring? Yeah. Um, if you do 12 groups, yeah. 40 here. Yeah. Yeah. And four alongside the road. Okay. And they can just space themselves out alongside the road. And yeah. And, the, and um, when they're on alongside the road, they 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 would know where to go, would they? Could it look? Well, there's the grass on this side. Oh yeah. They just sit along on the grass. Okay. Okay. Four in here. Four. In here. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Hi. By the way, nine times sixteen is one forty-four. All right. Twelve or thirteen. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, I don't know how to put this. Some things you brought up about family. I just came back from my family. Have you? <laughs> I'm really like trying to understand. Yeah. And maybe in the small group, maybe something. Called okay. The, but uh, you getting pressure or? Uh, no. I'm giving it. I feel very hurt by some things that people did, and I have trouble because I usually think, oh, it's just me. Mm. So I get confused by yeah, that. Yeah, sometimes it's, uh, it genuinely is out there. Some people are problematic with each other, problematic with themselves, etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not easy to <laughs> remember to breathe through these situations <laughs> and not get hooked. Mm -hmm. Not getting hooked is the key. Yeah. That's, that's the key. I get that, definitely. Yeah, easy I don't done. know easy how done. I get hooked, but yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. That's right. So this 20-25 minute period of time for um, silence, for meditation, I'll take a couple of minutes just with regard to the uh, uh, outline from the standpoint of the silence and the calmness. Two or three features to bear in mind here. One of them is uh, the posture itself. 
doesn't matter at all whether your preference is cross-legged or kneeling using those wooden stalls or the chair. It is helpful just for awareness and some expansion of the cellular life that the back is straight, it is upright, that the uh, hips are just rolled gently forward. When we do that, we do notice some immediacy of expansion in the stomach diaphragm area and a certain upliftment of the whole uh, trunk of the body. And this contributes to our steadiness and uh, uh, groundedness. If we wish and if it's helpful and uh, useful to give uh, care and attention to breathing, mindfulness of uh, breathing, and in that just being aware when the breath is long or when it's short, when it's deep or when it's shallow, and just being a conscious human being, life force breathing in, life force breathing out, as the air comes in through our nose, goes down into our lungs, and then we breathe out. Many situations in life where remembering to mindfully breathe in and out will give us a great deal of support, a great deal of steadiness, a great deal of protection, and both for ourselves and others. And it's a very invaluable practice. So if we're feeling relatively steady, relatively calm, posture is uh, relatively uh, 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 upright, could just uh, gently and uh, firmly turn, uh, as we turn our attention to the uh, here and now, to actually ask our uh, 